Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Scott Challoner. This podcast, just like the Leaders' Council itself, is all about recognising and celebrating those people who keep this great country running. We exist to give leaders a voice outside of their own organisations and to support them in the same way that they support their staff every single day of the week. Now, if you are in a leadership role yourself and would like to have your voice heard on the national stage, then please do visit leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply because we would love to have you on the programme with us. Um, Joining us on today's show, however, on what is a warm sunny day here in the capital is Ian Lewis. Ian is the Managing Director of Advanced Colours and Chemicals a chemical and dye specialist based in Haslingdon, Rosendale. Um, Ian, very warm welcome to yourself today and thank you so much for joining us on the show. Morning, Scott. Morning, everybody. Yes, um, morning to all of the listeners. Certainly is a lovely day for it. Um, Ian, um, I think a good thing to sort of start with on uh, today's programme would be addressing the elephant in the room here and that's the fact that as we record this podcast on the 20th of July 2021 um, Freedom Day has happened in England just yesterday we've seen the majority of Covid restrictions lifted of course in this country but the pandemic hasn't gone away and looking back over the last 15 or 16 months it's had such a tremendous impact on business and in many ways it does continue to do just that. Um, In your case Advanced Colours and Chemicals um, to what extent has it affected you and your business? Been quite dramatic. Uh, we, we were started off 2020 as, as a normal year, and uh, the first quarter of the, the year is quite important to us as a, as a company. And we were doing very well. And then March, mid March, you could see the, the warnings coming at us. And uh, by the end of March, we were in full lockdown, and uh, most of our business was decimated overnight. Um, we battled through the year. Um, I mean, I must say, uh, it's been a, it's been a Learning curve on many, 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 many aspects of the business. Um, they, our customers just didn't know whether they were coming or going. Um, the, the store shut, the retail industry shut, the, uh, the containers coming from all over the world that were in disarray, so stock was in short supply. We didn't know what season we were going to come back to as, as the fashion industry, the, the, um, etc. It was just absolute turmoil for, uh, and uh, now, we're just starting to see the green shoots and starting to recover. It's been a, it's been a torrid time. And I can imagine operationally as well that you've had to adhere to a lot of the social restrictions with regards to sort yeah. of social distancing as well. Um, and that was obviously a challenge to adapt to. With Freedom Day now having happened, um, are you sort of voluntarily sticking by the restrictions that have been in place? Or? Yes. Yes, yep. we are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, while we, we can make a bit of use of the referral scheme, that, that's been a, a tremendous uh, help to us. I've met many of our uh, customers in the, in the industry. Uh, and then we've got the, the, the office staff on part-time. Um, then we've got breaks between people coming into the office. So there's one person in the office, me and my, my office. So we could clean down, uh, make sure the surfaces are clean, make sure the door handles are clean. Uh, the, the production staff, We've got plenty of rooms of extraction in the building, um, so you know we, we are still running. You know because all, I understand you know the need to, to keep this company going. I understand that we need to get back to normality, but we've got to keep ourselves safe. Mm. That's the important thing, isn't it? And that sort of reassurance about the safety—that's going to be good for their peace of mind as well, isn't yeah. it? And 
we've yeah. seen the importance of good morale, good mental health, and good well-being yeah. during this That's time, right. haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. We also deliver to a lot of our local customers ourselves, and the the, the is each brand has got a full kit in it. It's got wipes for the steering wheel, etc. It's got uh, gloves. It's got masks. It's got uh, hand sanitizer. As soon as one of our employees pulls up at a customer, mask on, sanitize, then sanitize back in, mask off, drive away. You know, to keep people safe as we can, we're nowhere near to the end of this thing. So it's going to be here for a while. And it's going to affect business for a while. It's going to, it's going to keep us on a tour, shall we say, for a, for a good year or year so more. Because as we've gone through the year of survival, as it were, we're now, it's like starting, starting again. Uh, and and uh, here we are now getting busier and having to fund it not quite where we, we use all you know most companies have used what, what they've got and what resources they've had to keep, keep, the, keep the lights on and keep the doors open as it were for the last 16 months they have exactly and yeah it's a different set of, uh, set of problems now trying to finance and, and keep keep going and, and you know we've got the government's new uh, initiative here uh, the RLS scheme to get that you know to get more capital but You've got to work and you've got to understand and, and, and understand your business. And you know, we've had two, two months now where we've started to grow and grow a bit back. But there's no one got a crystal ball saying, well, you know, is that going to carry on? Can you afford repayment? It, it's, a, it's a fine line. It is exactly that. And there's a lot of uncertainty going forward. But I think what is for mm. sure, if anything, is that the way that we work and do business in this country is going to be much changed because we've seen so many sort of adjustments to our working practices, be that within mm. sort of office work, going and working remotely, be that in the manufacturing arena with sort of social distancing being in place. And that isn't going anywhere anytime soon, is it? It looks as if that's going to be here no. for the long term. No. Uh, and, uh, you know, Firstly, you know, we were due to go to a trade event in September, and I'm still a bit dubious of whether it's going to go ahead. It's still, you know, whether if it goes ahead, can we actually physically, uh, with what's happened in the last 16 months, afford to, to leave the factory for two, two or three days and go to a trade event? And, and more to the point, of these trade events, as you're aware, are free to register. People may register, but are they going to go? Are they going to? Are, are companies going to say yes? You can go into you know, this massive event and people, is it going to be, you know, full people support it? There's a lot of unknowns still and, uh, you know, businesses trying to plan through this murky mist of, of, of uncertainty. And I suppose with events like that, yeah, I suppose with events like that as well, there's always that risk that, say, a few members of staff contract COVID, um, it really hits your operations, doesn't it? Um, with loads of people having mm. to self-isolate all of a sudden under the uh, the current rules. Yeah, 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 this is it. I mean, touch wood, we've not had a case of COVID in the company. Uh, we've had uh, two cases where people have self-isolated, one because their daughter caught it at school, and one because uh, it, uh, the other uh, office staff were in a, in a, coffee, in a, in a coffee shop and uh, mm-hmm. somebody happened to test positive during that, that visit. So that's all we've had. But we have had uh, two or three phone calls from the HSA. We've had online uh, people, you know, discussions with the HSE on, on our practices. Um, one thing I did find a bit, um, and I did mention it to the, uh, the HSE was when they, when they contacted me, that if somebody else, and it's, it's irrelevant now after all, is that when we've had people self-isolating, there's been no guidance, not much guidance as to what you've got to do to get those people back after testing. Do they have to have a test? Some people say, I don't want to test. Some people say, well, I 
loved it. Mm. And it, it's been a, that bit of ambiguity has caused a bit of, not, not stress as much, but a bit more, a bit more work for, for people like myself. Yeah, and government guidance especially, it's something that's come under an immense amount of scrutiny, hasn't it? Um, The support measures like the furlough scheme that we've talked about uh, that have been put in place have been incredibly impressive. But do you sort of feel that throughout the pandemic you've been well informed as to what's been expected of you to work safely and to get people back in when they've had to sort of go into periods of isolation? Yeah, firstly, I'd like to say that, you know, whatever... Whatever has to be in power, whatever, whatever uh, space we are, we are, hindsight's a wonderful thing and it's great to have hindsight. But I think the government have done a, a, a tremendous job through this, this pandemic. It's been, it's been difficult. You, can't, you cannot suit everybody. Um, mm. Getting information out has been a bit tricky. Uh, we've had pamphlets, we've had the online. We've had, to a certain degree, we, we've had to look for it, but that's fine. There's been a lot going on. But you, you, you know your situation, you know your staff. You, you know what's best for you, your business. Um, the first team, as we mentioned, it's been fantastic and has been a lifeline for this company and a lot of our, our, our customers in, in, our, in the textile industry and you know, in the insurance industry. Uh, what, what was a bit tricky in, in, for, for a company like ourselves was we've grown over the last 10 years. We've actually doubled in size in 10 years. That is, is growth in both uh, we've, we've taken on more, more buildings more factory units we haven't had one when we started uh, we've got more staff when we did you know that's another problem and then but we don't own the building so we've, we're always paying rent and, and rate and, and some, some some industries have even been more supportive and the manufacturing I think of, and, and something that we could have been a bit easier and made our life a bit easier would be Thankless and an enviable task, isn't it? Leading a country, yeah. especially through such an unprecedented challenge. And one thing I did want to sort of say as well that I've seen within business certainly is that even though the pandemic has sort of forced us apart out of necessity in some cases, I think it's actually almost made us stronger by bringing us closer together in terms of the connections that we have with our business leaders and with our colleagues and that resilience that we've built up. I think in some ways, despite all the trauma of the last year, we're going into the future perhaps in some ways, maybe even stronger than we were before, even if the finances aren't reflecting that. Is that something that you'd agree with? Yeah, in the main, uh, most most of our, uh, you know, our people we deal with, our, our customers and our, and our suppliers, have been very understanding. Uh, you know, we've all got issues, we've all got problems in it. We, we've uh, run our, our own businesses, and you know, as, as a whole, people are. I think we've, we've, we've in, although we haven't seen each other, we may, may have thought to each other more than we normally would uh, on, 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 the, on a different level, as it were. You know, not just business. It's been, you know, few people bringing up, "Are you all right? How are we doing?" how things going and uh, you know the industry has come together uh, and I think that the country has uh, on the whole you know it, we may have been apart but we you know we, the, the bond is still there 
I think that's very right. And I think sort of maintaining those connections and not losing sight of the positives of the pandemic are going to be really, really important, aren't they? I mean, I suppose um, it's a famous quote by Winston Churchill, never waste a good crisis. And I think we've seen innovation, we've seen adapting at an unprecedented scale. And I think almost reverting to the old normal just like that at the end of this would essentially be counterproductive compared to sort of that progress that we've seen. So there are a lot of lessons to take from the pandemic, aren't there? And we need to make sure that we heed those going forward. There are, you know, and, uh, you know, our industry is, I've had to cope with declaring since I started, I mean, started in 1987. And ever since I've started, it's been a steady decline. But I think we've got to the point now where we've got quite a strong uh, nucleus of companies that, that, that are, will survive and will come through this and will be better and more productive. I think so, certainly. And like I say, you've spent so many years within the uh, the industry, um, over 15 years of working um, in the sector, of course. You've been with Advanced Colours and Chemicals, I think, since 2011, if I'm right in saying. Um, yeah, right, yeah. And yeah. O- over all of these years, um, I can imagine that a challenge quite like this is something that you've never seen. We've been in times of economic recession before, but not anything quite like this, have we? No, no, this is it. Uh, because it, it, uh, as, as we found... Um, you know, when we're in recession, it's normally the UK is in recession, or you may have Japan in recession, or you have the, the European, perhaps the European recession. This is global, uh, and some of our customers are, are global players, and you know, the, 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 the effect that's had on their businesses has been, been quite catastrophic, really. It's been, uh, you know, because it's not just one part, it's everybody, you know, to varying degrees, and, and it, it affects it across the board. And in other recessions as well, spending still happens, but when businesses and supply chains are forced to close completely, that's when, you know, you've got a really different kind of problem, isn't it? Yeah, well, normally, it may sound awful, but normally in a recession, uh, textiles normally doesn't do too bad. Uh, people will, will say, right, we're not having a new car, we're not having a, we're not moving, we're not doing this, we're not having a big family this year, but we're going to the suit, so we're buying a new suit, we'll have a new car fix. You know, so textiles numbers as well. In this one, no one's been to any, you know, weddings have been curtailed. Uh, there's been no main corporate events. There's been no, not many walk ceremonies. There's been, uh, we've got one of our customers uh, quite big in uh, aircraft renovation. So, you know, upholstery, uh, carpet, you know, if you're going to put a, a like, like now see people going back in the flights, going back at I nearly dropped their phone. We're now seeing jets for the first time in the year. It's like, wow, plane. Um, you know, the, a businessman, even look at his fleet and say, well, we're getting the season out of those. We don't need to refurbish that, that plane. We don't need to put the new seats. We don't need to put that new carpet in. So, actually, when we come out of this, it's going to be slower for us than the normal recession. If that makes sense. Yeah, certainly does. Um, and it's going to be an interesting period as well as we sort of mm. see what happens with the lifting of restrictions in England and uh, also around the globe as well as to just how fast we can progress out of this pandemic. And I know we don't have a crystal ball, but I would like to sort of talk about the future just before we do wrap up, Ian, because I'm conscious we're starting yeah. to run short of time as well. Um, yeah. Over the next sort of 12 months, um, all being well with the pandemic situation, what are going to be some of your priorities at Advanced Colours and Chemicals? And where do you see yourselves this time in 2022 in an ideal world? In an ideal world, if we carry on as, as we hope and, and we, we predict, we'll, we'll, be, uh, we'll be back. Not, that's about 78% of where we should be. 
Uh, that's what we're predicting. Um, we're hoping that comes to fruition. We've got a massive uh, part of our plant, which is we'll start a building in the back end of 2019 and 2020. And obviously that's been mothballed now. And we've seen that we, just, we haven't touched it since. And the aim is by the end of 2022 to have all of these seven machines and, and, a, and the powder blending uh, facility all up and running and functional so we can go out and increase our, our footprint in that, that business, in that side of the business. And we've, we, you know, we've, we've got a new part of the business which is coming online, which we hope to capitalise on and hope to be quite a big player next year. Yeah, certainly. So, you're innovating. Blending powders, yeah. Not, but the main company with the textile industry is, is Aquis, which is you know, liquid mm. blending. Um, but we've bought seven machines uh, over the last two years. They just sat there waiting to be finished up and, and, and put up and uh, a mezzanine floor built around them. So that's the plan. And get that all. Then we'll start steady today. We, we're just building a, a new dying laboratory. So that's. Ongoing, and a lot of that we can do ourselves, you know, and uh, do a bit of settling and, and painting, and you know, and we've got the machines ready to go in for that as well. So that's the plan is to have the dying laboratory and the, the powder bed is done by the end of 2022. And then when we're in 2023, hopefully, when we get, you know, we should be well, well out of this uh, pandemic. Um, we fingers crossed that we can start and get a Plenty of positivity with that plan, Ian, and that positivity is so infectious. And I do wish you all the luck in the world in making that a reality because it is time for business to bounce back. Yeah. We've always had a five-year plan, Mm. uh, but unfortunately we've lost a year, which has taken out a fair bit, fair chunk. But every year we sit down and we 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 evaluate the plan and we go, right, what are we going to do this next year? And even though we're in this mess, we we haven't given up with with that plan. We always plan. Yeah, and it's difficult to plan too far ahead when things are changing so frequently. But I think you've got to be able to do that. You've got to have that proactive form of leadership rather than be reactive to what's happening around you, haven't you? And just press on where you can. Yeah, yeah. Because if you, if you yeah, you've got to look at what's going on at the present time. But if you're not looking ahead, then you cannot capitalise what's going on, what you think. And it is a gamble. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But we, we sometimes say, right, well, well that's, that, that's, we're not going to be able to do that this year. We'll put that to next year. And it, it's, it's a fluid plan, but we, we have this plan to, to, to invest and, and, and make the company better. And like I say, I wish you all the luck in the world with that planning and going forward because it is in certain times. Um, again, thanks ever so much for joining us on the show today. And I think as we start to understand just how that plan's coming together, I'd love actually to welcome you back onto the show with us and just catch up on how things are getting on because I really yeah, enjoyed that, having that, you today. A bit of pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. That's been a pleasure. And lastly, in as well, please do continue to take care and stay safe with everything still going on because we're not quite out of COVID yet, but fingers crossed that better days are ahead of us. No, fingers crossed we'll be there and wish everyone a safe and happy future. 
And that goes for all of the listeners tuning into today's show as well. Please do continue to look after yourselves and be considerate of others because it still makes a key difference in saving lives, even without those restrictions in place in England. Um, It was a pleasure for me to welcome Ian Lewis, Managing Director of Advanced Colours and Chemicals, onto the programme today. Um, Next up on the show, we'll be joined by Leaders Council Chairman and former Education Secretary, Lord David Blunkett, who will be sharing his views on the pandemic, as well as his hopes for the weeks and the months ahead of us with the economic reopening. That will be coming up on the programme next. Lord Blunkett, welcome. Thank you very much. It's very good to be with you. Um, Well, of course, uh, nothing is being said uh, at the moment other than COVID-19, which uh, we must touch on. Um, What would your message be to small businesses who are trying to keep going? Well, I think the last ones standing will be the ones that thrive when we get back to some sort of normality. So it's have confidence and courage. Obviously, take advantage as far as you can of the government help. I think that Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, has gone about as far as you could have expected Mm -hmm. in the circumstances. There are obviously small businesses that fall between the cracks, those who uh, don't have um, defined premises, can't benefit from the business rate waiver, uh, have not really been able to demonstrate that they can uh, adhere to the PAYE for furloughing staff and, of course, whether they can receive the the grant, 10,000 or 25,000. All all of those who can uh, are obviously able at least to benefit from that for the time being and look to the future. But I think the second thing to say, and they don't need me to tell them this as a politician who who did once do a business studies qualification, which is that it will be a different world and being able mm. to think about how that world will look in a year's time and be creative about it and learn from not just what's happening to you at this moment in time, but to others around you and the sector that you're working in, that will be really important. Do you feel that the long-term uh, effects of uh, the COVID-19 outbreak Uh, will in some ways be positive uh, for British industry? Well, only in the sense that people are having to be creative. They're having to adjust and innovate. Therefore, they're thinking about more productive, if you like, greater productivity ways of delivering the same service or delivering the same products. And in that sense, I think we'll have temporarily at least very much higher unemployment than we've become used to, but we'll probably have a burst of productivity, Mm -hmm. which will help with the recovery, whether it will help with the inequity of the way in which our economy is imbalanced, both between services and productivity and and the production of goods and services, I'm not sure. What we will need to try and do is to ensure that the geographic imbalance that exists is, as far as humanly possible, is dealt with by both Uh, the entrepreneurship and innovation from the bottom up and targeted government help, which will still be needed. And we are now in the throes of the kind of borrowing that we saw back in 2008 to save the banking and economic system. We're we're having to do that to save the whole of our productive business and Mm -hmm. commerce. And I think that will have to be sustained for some time. Do you feel that people will take a second look at global supply chains in the wake of this outbreak? I think there's going to be much more creative ways of using local supply and linking up 
inside sectors much more effectively. And I hope that the Leaders' Council will be able to play a part in that in the sense that people who mm. have something in common, a synergy in terms of what they're delivering, whether it's a service or whether it's manufacturing or whatever, uh, will be able to see that there's a, a, a good outcome from knowing the sector better, linking with people, not just geographically, locally, but those in this country who may not have been on the radar in terms of what they produced for the supply chain. And, of course, um, ensuring, because there's quite a lot of fraud going on as we speak with um, people getting into cyber attacks, that they'll also take account of going into the the cybersecurity side effectively as well. The more we are online, the more people who are working from home, the more vulnerable those businesses and their supply chain become. And that's something to think about as well. How important is strong leadership at the moment? Well, I actually think that it's brought to the fore leadership in a whole range of areas from obviously government itself and there's been ups and downs but all the way through the public and private sector people have to use the jargon stepped up and they've shown uh, local regional national level the kind of leadership that britain historically was very good at regrettably we've not seen seen the same on the international scene for mm. all kinds of reasons uh, but maybe we will in future. So I think out of this will come experience of people who have seen an opportunity to do good as well as seen an opportunity to provide a good uh, service or goods, uh, including, for instance, shortages uh, for the health and social care uh, system, um, the food chain and the like. Uh, but also, I think, in terms of seeing the the synergy between the private and the voluntary sector and using people's uh, commitment to each other in a very positive way. I, I'm not sentimental about this. Things will revert. Mm -hmm. But actually, I think there is a, a kind of moment of moral judgment of people feeling that they've got a role to play outside the immediate survival that they're engaged in. And if we can hang on to a little bit of that social responsibility, that will be a very positive outcome. Absolutely. Now, what's your broad view of how the government is responding to this? Are you broadly supportive of their measures? Well, it may surprise people to hear that, that I have been very supportive. Of course, there's been legitimate criticisms about the speed of response on protective equipment and on issues relating to testing. But my own view is very similar to the challenge that was made to the Prime Minister of Italy when people said, why didn't you close Italy down faster? And he said, a fortnight before we did it, I would have been considered to be a madman and nobody would have agreed to do it mm. if I'd tried to move too quickly. And I, I think that's something that we need to reflect on here in the UK. We, we may have seen the signals elsewhere uh, across the world and taken them more seriously at the time. Hindsight is a wonderful thing, but as someone who's a had his life in uh, the opposite uh, political party to the, the present government, I think that with some hiccups and mistakes, 
they've not done a bad job in what has been incredibly difficult circumstances. And you're absolutely right. In a in a liberal uh, democracy that we live in, it's it's very difficult for people to swallow orders given to them from government. Um, well, the the UK and um, and the US, and to some extent to the Scandinavian countries, have a very different interest uh, history and, and therefore interest in maintaining the freedom to decide and the persuasion and consent mm. that's required. Uh, those countries that have experienced one way or another totalitarianism over the last century have a slightly different way of coming at this. Mm. I don't want to exaggerate it, but I think that that's why getting the balance right of getting people to go along with what you want them to do in their interests as well as the nation as a whole is a sensible proportional balance. And I think we now need to adjust to the coming out of the crisis gradually, uh, readjusting to recovery uh, in the same way. Now, something you've mentioned recently on this balance is uh, the police overreach and the enforcement of the COVID-19 structures that have been put in place. What have they done right and where have they gone too far? Well, I think that they were interpreting what was not necessarily as clear advice as it might have been for all kinds of reasons because people were feeling their way. I think what's come out of it has been uh, a demonstration by local police services in some parts of the country that they could get people to do what was needed without the heavy hand of drones overhead mm. or people being told that they you know, shouldn't be walking in the street because this was all about self-isolation, not incarceration. It was about getting people not to pass the infection on to each other and therefore to provide distance rather than to make our lives a misery. Those police services that adopted that policing by consent and chipping people along did really well. Those who went over the top, I think, soon got a very substantial pushback. And one of the strengths of our democracy is that you could have that debate. People could say, I'm terribly sorry, we we think the police force in our area has gone over the top. And that in itself is a constraint and uh, a readjustment. That's another strength of um, living in a country where you can have opinions and express them without actually being thought to be a fool. Now, of course, uh, the government has faced criticism uh, that they were slow to react, uh, and Boris Johnson wasn't present at the early COVID-19 COBRA meetings. Now, uh, Number 10 has claimed that this is normal practice. Uh, The health secretary often chairs COBRA meetings uh, related to health. Uh, Does this tally with your experience as a secretary of state, or would you have expected the PM uh, to be more hands-on during the initial stages? I think different prime ministers do have a very different style. And Boris's style, which I think will now be considerably adjusted, was very swashbuckling. In some senses, delegating is a good thing, uh, as every leader of every business or public service knows. Those who try to pull too much into themselves end up with a massive bottleneck, a great uh, failure of trust and the inability of people to show what they're worth and to to demonstrate their capability. So I'd be very wary of jumping in and saying he was wrong to delegate the essential COBRA meetings. What I was surprised about was that he didn't um, chair the first couple because 
Mm-hmm. My experience with Tony Blair for the eight years I was in cabinet was that Tony was a great delegator, but he would get a grip to begin with, watch what the difficulties were, and then give people direction and confidence to be able to get on with it. So looking back, I think Boris himself probably thinks, God, I wish I'd spotted the signals from elsewhere in the world more rapidly, and I'd just been there. However, this also raises another issue. All of us in positions of leadership need good teams around us. Mm -hmm. I think after this is over, he will be assessing those who really did step up and those who demonstrated their inadequacy. I think we'll probably end up in a year's time with a much stronger cabinet than we have today. Well, absolutely. And of course, uh, we've seen a a significant uh, drop in the visibility of uh, certain special advisors like Dominic Cummings uh, during this uh, entire period. So it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, Well, it's certainly readjusted the role of those behind the scenes with those who should be taking the decisions, having received advice. Obviously, there's been a complete transformation in the profile of experts, if I might use that term, who'd previously been denigrated. Mm -hmm. Scientists, medics, people with behavioral science uh, understanding. My only criticism was, were we getting wide enough advice? Were we narrowing it too much to a couple of key centers in London? But that's because I've always been adverse to everything being London-centric. I think there's great expertise, wisdom, experience out in the sticks and uh, we should use it. Uh, rightly so. Um, now, was part, pandemic planning part of your time as a minister, particularly perhaps uh, when you were Home Secretary? Well, it was, but it was on the back of risk arising out of counter-terrorism measures. Right. Uh, I was the Home Secretary for three months when the attack took place in September 2001 on the World Trade Center and beyond. We did an enormous amount of uh, scenario planning, both desktop and and real. On the back of that, it was very heavily orientated to future developing terrorism risk. I certainly got involved with talking about pandemics. I remember being at a seminar in Edinburgh where the university had done a lot of work itself on the issue of pandemics. And of course, we, we saw SARS and other things emerging, I, I think it would. people have criticized the government for not picking up the report from 2015, five years ago. I think that what happens is human nature kicks in. You deal with what you're immediately faced with. Mm. You, you, can, you can sponsor reports. And this is true of business planning, of course, as well, and scenario planning for what business continuity will look like, recovery plans for business, what will happen if um, there's a cyber attack, what happens if there's an energy shutdown, these kind of things you you can look at. But you're immediately turning your eyes to what's in front of you. And had we picked up a bit more on the danger from Ebola and SARS and what have you in the past, then we might have said, what if something hits us in the developed nations? that we don't have a vaccine for, Mm -hmm. that we can't immediately whisk up uh, protective materials or equipment or, for that matter, medicines that help with recovery, all of which we now see are a danger. I think this will 
make an enormous difference to the planning for the for the years ahead. I hope it will be widened so that we don't just look at what's happened. But very rarely do you see something exactly repeat itself. Some of the circumstances will be, but others won't. So that's why I've put emphasis in what I talk about on looking at the other virus, the cyber attack uh, scenario, mm-hmm. which could be just as dangerous in a uh, a world of just-in-time provision. One of the miracles of uh, the modern developed world, except for the very poor, has been the distribution of food. A lot of it on computerized, uh, technologically advanced systems. If that were to come down, we'd be in real trouble. So I think we need to think those sort of scenarios as well. So have a full plan across uh, both sectors, uh, biological warfare, pandemics, and uh, cyber warfare. Yes, and to do so on different levels, I think again, thinking of thinking global but acting local, we mm. need a lot more to think about what would happen if something took shape that actually broke down those national and global chains and how we would cope. And without, uh, obviously we've got enough fear and anxiety to last a lifetime without creating even more anxiety. We can think about those things for the future in a more rational way, I think. Now, aside from the physical uh, threat of the virus, one of the things that people are vastly worried about is the effect on uh, the economy, not just national economy, but also the world economy. Um, now, it, it has been said by certain parties, um, and uh, I'd like to garner your uh, thoughts on this. Is there a danger of the effects of the lockdown being even worse than those of the virus? Were it be prolonged, I fear that that balance would tip the other way. It is about proportionality. It is about balance. It's the wisdom of Solomon, really, to to get the moment right when you start to move and then to move quickly. There's no doubt whatsoever that we are stocking up, not just on the economic and employment front, which will be devastating enough, but on the health and social well-being front, enormous challenges and they will need careful handling because there's a lot of people whose lives for a variety of reasons are at risk in the future on a scale that we've been dealing with over the the immediate handling of the pandemic, concentrating really hard on those affected by COVID-19, those sadly who have died or been seriously incapacitated that will roll over into the economic, the social, the mental health and cultural well-being of the nation. And that will need all of us to pull together as well. Absolutely. Now, do you believe the government's doing enough for business? I think that the speed of reaction once the scale of the pandemic was clear was very good. I've praised Ricky Sunak for his action. Uh, Remember, a chancellor who only just come into office was planning to deliver the budget in the middle of March and has had three, at least three equivalent budgets since. I think he's handled it very well, understandably worried now about what we're doing to our economy. The level of borrowing is sustainable because of 
low interest rates, but it reaches a point, of course, where it tips over so that you can't then do the kind of structural investment requirements that the government were laying out before and in the March budget. And those will have their consequences as well as a planned payback over many years. I think we've learned something over the last few months. We, we needed to take immediate action. We don't want another round of austerity equivalent from 2010 through to 2019. I don't think the nation, on the back of what's happened and the challenges we have, could take that. And therefore, we need a different plan, economic plan, over a much longer period, just as we did from the Second World War all the way through to 2002, when the final American loans were paid off. Now, of course, uh, one thing that's on everyone's lips, um, how much longer do you believe uh, that the lockdown can go on for? I believe that we need to be substantially back in action as an economy in June. This obviously is led in terms of places where people would meet in large numbers, having to uh, adjust to the fact that it will be longer for them. And sadly, that will involve business closures. It's why the Chancellor extended the furlough scheme to the end of June. Mm -hmm. But unless we, we get things moving in June, I think we'll run into the summer where all kinds of services and industries will have a chain reaction effect and what happens with one will then have a major impact on another and then you get the skittle effect where things get knocked down that you hadn't perceived were going to be affected so I very much if I were in government and I always think of things in that context what would I do if I were in government I would be on the side from the second week in May, on the side of the Hawks, in terms of saying we've got to start moving and we've got to do so with the collaboration and cooperation of the public who have got the message, who did behave, who responded magnificently. Let's try and get back, perhaps you know, doing things differently for a time, but substantially getting back to business as usual. Unless we do that, then those areas that can't and wouldn't expect to be back in action immediately get pushed further into the middle of the year in the autumn, and then they become unsustainable. Now, of course, um, one of the other major developments we've had recently are the changes in the uh, the Labour Party. So if we could just uh, speak on the Labour Party for uh, a while. Um, this might sound like uh, an obvious question, but uh, how does uh, Secure uh, differ from Mr. Corbyn? Well, I'm biased because I believe the Labour Party um, has come out of four and a half years of a black hole of a nightmare mm. uh, where it neither represented a, a, a credible opposition nor a, an electable government. And the combination was to let those who supported the Labour Party and needed some of its policies uh, let them down very badly. Sir Keir Starmer both is a highly intelligent a professional lawyer who, as Director of Public Prosecutions, led the service well, uh, had to take difficult decisions at a time of austerity, understands the world beyond 
Labour members, but has been able to do business with those who originally supported Jeremy Corbyn mm-hmm. and was able to command support from them. His creation of a balanced shadow ministerial team has been very encouraging. Um, I, I supported Lisa Nandy, who he's made shadow foreign secretary, because I thought she understood the north of England and uh, the uh, the disaffected uh, Labour former Labour voters. But I believe that Sakir has taken on board those who have something really sensible to offer. And I believe he will be both a, a great leader of the opposition, more importantly, he will then present himself as a credible alternative prime minister. And all governments need an alternative government at their shoulder. Mm. Uh, it was true of us from 97, and it took the Conservatives some time to recover and to get to that position, but they did, and the Labour Party will, and that's crucial for our democracy. All of us need to understand and appreciate that a living, breathing, functioning democracy requires uh, a credible, confident, and uh, in many ways uh, supportable opposition, as well as a government that we clearly want to do well, because none of us want, as we didn't with the COVID crisis, none of us want the government to fail. We want to see our economy recover. We want our social well-being to be taken into account. We want to overcome deep-seated inequality and poverty. And we want to do it with enterprise and entrepreneurship and business playing their role. And that is about leadership nationally, locally, in the private and the public sector. People with ideas, with confidence, with the ability to pull teams around them. Above all, to have some idea of what it is they want to achieve and a very good idea as to how to achieve it. What's the one king, uh, key thing that Sakir needs to do to restore Labour as an election-winning party? I think Sakir Starmer's major challenge is to convince sceptical voters that Labour has not only reverted to a party that they can support because they can see it acting, developing, presenting as a credible alternative government, Mm -hmm. but also that the lessons have been learned from the fiasco from 2015 onwards. In other words, there have to be very clear signals of substantial change, not just the right words, not just reassurance that we're not uh, going back to some of the crazier uh, policies, but actually that we've understood why the electorate rejected those policies so substantially in December 2019. If people get that message, they'll understand that the Labour Party has changed, as it did in the 1980s and early 90s, to become the electable government with the greatest majority, and historic majority, even greater than 1945, which I was privileged to be able to take advantage of in 1997 when I joined the cabinet. Now, I know what your answer is going to be to this question, but uh, indulge me. Um, do you think Secure has what it takes to be PM? Yes, I do. I think he has the background, he has the experience, he has the professionalism, he has the forensic uh, mindset, 
and he has the confidence to have put a team around him which will ensure that he will work. And those elements are true of all leaders. Ideas, ability to build a team, to have confidence in that team, uh, and to be able to demonstrate leadership in practice, sometimes at the most difficult times. And, you know, the Leaders' Council, those sharing their thoughts with uh, the the kind of thing that we're doing now uh, with uh, a podcast, but also joining us in linking up in that network of people who can support and help each other and learn from mm-hmm. each other. That is what needs to be done in politics as it needs to be done in business. Thank well, you very much indeed, Matthew. Well, the thank you for coming on the, uh, the program. It's been a, an absolute pleasure and I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you very much, and good luck to all those listening in what has been a nightmare scenario. Good luck for the future. Have courage, have confidence, and yes, listen to those who know more about business than I ever will. Thank you, Lord Blunkett. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Chaloner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.